Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 92 of the Brown County Hour. This is Vera Grubbs. And Dave Seastrom, along with the rest of the crew. In honor of Halloween, we're doing something different this month. Instead of one musical guest, we're featuring three different artists who each have a seasonally appropriate song. We also have an interview about paranormal activity and a ghost story to share. Lisa Hall shares some information about the Brown County Playhouse birthday badge, and we'll listen to our interview with some of the folks who are involved with the Eagle Manufacturing at the Brown County High School. We'll present the winning story from our latest Story Slam at the Brown County Inn. We have a new installment of Carrie Ray on the road, and Dave Seastrom has a few reflections about fall in Brown County. Segment one begins with our interview about paranormal activity with Matthew Jackson. The interview is in two parts, and in between the segments, we'll hear the Frank Jones tune, Frankenstein's Pockets. We'll conclude this portion of the show with John Whitcomb's story, Ghost Lights in the Sky. I'm Chuck Wills, and our guest is paranormal investigator Matthew Jackson. Welcome, Matthew. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, very happy to have you on the show. You are a Brown County resident, and you do paranormal investigations. That is true. I've been actively investigating since probably about 2008, I believe. Okay. Your website is paraholics.com. And looking at that, you are maybe asking questions and delving into things that a lot of others dare not ask. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. And I think a lot of people probably internalize some of the questions that I, I try to explore, but um, maybe they, they, they just kind of are satisfied with what they've been told and they kind of stop there and, sure. and don't get too curious. Sure. Well, I think that, you know, for some people, paranormal could be considered a taboo subject. 100%. Well, let's really start by defining paranormal investigation and what you do around that. Well, paranormal is a big umbrella, and basically paranormal is anything that just really cannot be explained. Uh, that does not mean that there's not a scientific explanation that eventually could be found behind some of the phenomena. But, you know, paranormal can be anything from 
UFOs to Bigfoot to, uh, you know, ghosts and haunted places. And I kind of fell into the whole historic uh, lore and the ghost stories and preserving history and being fascinated by that side of uh, from some of the experiences that I've had. That's what really piqued my interest more than anything. So that's kind of my little my little niche, so to speak. Okay, so a real historical perspective to go along with the things that bump in the night. Absolutely. So when I've had experiences or I've heard about locations that have had, you know, that type of activity, I just like to, you know, immerse myself in the environment and also the history and just see if there is actually any type of connection between the the tragic history oftentimes to the experiences that people now have and whether it's like an echo of the the tragic history or if it's facilitated by something else or if it's all in your head. I, I try to record as much data as I can when I do visit these spots because, you know, even though I know that there's no true scientific method that is going to prove or convince somebody of something else, you know, something that they don't want to believe in, uh, but for my own personal research and my own personal experiences, I do try to capture anything to substantiate the experiences. And, you know, sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. And it's almost as validating to me when I go to one of these locations and I can't record something uh, as much as it is when I go somewhere and I do. Because if I something happened and I recorded something every place that I went, I'd be like, "Okay, maybe you're just nuts. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Tell me what got you interested in all of this? What kicked it off for you? I've always been someone who's always, I've always had questions. I've always had questions about uh, everything concerning, you know, our life and existence. And I've always mulled these things over. And of course, you're raised in like your church and you think you kind of have an idea or a frame of how all this fits. But I had a couple experiences along the way that just kind of derailed and made me question the things that I, I thought that I knew and thought that I understood. And one of my very, very first experiences, I, I was working in this historic building downtown Columbus, Indiana. And um, I I was told that at one point, this building sat on a cemetery that was the very first Catholic cemetery in between Indianapolis and Jeffersonville, like back in the 1840s. And of course, it sounded interesting, but I, I didn't pay attention to any of that. And then one evening when I was in this building and myself and three others, we were standing near the front door getting ready to exit the space. And I saw a, a mirror, like a hand mirror, uh, toss like a Frisbee into the middle of the floor in the room that I was in and break in front of everybody. And I didn't think for one second it was anything paranormal at that moment. But I went and I tried to figure out how could this mirror have been tossed off this, this cabinet like it was into the middle of the room. And it was years later when I really got more involved in doing research into this type of phenomena. I went back and I looked at that and I looked up the history of that property. And sure enough, it really was built on a Catholic cemetery that was supposedly moved to the city cemetery at one point. And as late as the 1980s, utility workers would still occasionally come across grave remains in that city block. So it was just once again kind of building that narrative of history and, and ghost lore and so on and so forth. So. Okay, so that's yeah. what started it for you. That's what first got my attention. Okay. But my most significant experience I had was in 2003, actually here in Brown County. All right. Yeah. And a friend of mine owned a house up on 135 North, and he thought it was humorous that the previous owner said the house was haunted. He thought it was funny. Yeah. Then six months later, he's like, oh, by the way, my house is haunted. 
And he told me some things that he was experiencing in this house with things getting moved, his animals yeah. acting weird. And um, I just kind of blew him off because I thought he was kind of nuts. So, <laughs> and, but anyway, one night I was at his house and we were having a cookout on his back deck. And it, there were just three people there. And I got to preface this by saying we were all sober. And we were standing on his back deck and um, just, you know, having small chit chat. And a, uh, something whispered in my ear. Okay. And I thought it was the lady that was standing beside me. I thought she leaned over and said something to me. And so I turned to her to ask her what she said. And at the same time, she had the same experience. She heard a whisper in her ear, which she thought was me. So we basically had the same experience where we turned to each other at the same time with, you know, pardon me, what did you say? Then all of a sudden, my glass of water that was sitting behind me, something, best I can describe it, is like it punk kicked it. Like hit it hard, up in the air, end over end. And threw water all over us. In our moment of, pardon me, what did you say? Turned into a few expletives. What was that? And my friend who was sitting across from us said, oh, that's just the ghost. That kind of stuff happens all the time. That's just the ghost. That's just the ghost. Sure it is. I was gone in five minutes. Scared the pants off of me. Yeah. Yeah. So that, again, opened up my mind even more to the possibilities and potentials of what we think you know, we know and how the universe could work. And so after doing a little digging and asking some more questions, I found out that my friend's house was built on the site of the Clarence Roberts um, arson and murder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so once again, there is another building block of tragic history yeah. and a manifestation of something very strange. Yeah. And then I went down the rabbit hole. That's that's what really kicked yeah, you over the edge. That's what kicked me over the edge. Okay. So that's when I started studying and researching and then later actively investigating. Okay. Don't put your hands in the Frankenstein pocket. You don't know what's inside Don't put your hands in the Frankenstein pockets You don't know what's hiding inside My Frankenstein Don't put your hands in the Frankenstein pockets You don't know what's in there Where it's been, you don't know about what's in here.
Don't put your hands in the Frankenstein pockets You don't know what's inside Don't put your hands in the Frankenstein pockets You don't know what's hiding inside So all of this was really pre the television phenomenon of all of the the taps and other TV shows that you might see now. I remember when those shows came on and I watched them a few times and it reminded me a little bit of fishing for one. And I Mm -hmm. I was kind of amazed that there was a methodology they were trying to apply to actually, you know, experience and, you know, you know, explore that phenomena. Uh, But yeah, that really set a fire with a lot of people. And uh, even to this day, most of what you see people do are closely modeled after what they've seen on TV. Sure. So I encourage people to read books before they just watch TV. (laughs) Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What does an investigation really look like? It looks like crazy people sitting around in the dark talking to themselves. (laughs) That is really what it looks like. It's really about listening to the environment, let the environment speak to you. So there is a lot of quietness. There's a lot of downtime. You've taken what looks like kind of a scientific approach to measuring investigation, looking at the history, that kind of thing. I've often felt almost like a uh, a wartime journalist, you know, when okay. I'm when I'm out there, I almost feel a little detached, uh, which is hard to keep away from when you actually feel like things start saying your name and <laughs> maybe things have followed you home. I mean, I've had some really interesting experiences that uh, have gotten personal, but at the same time, I've I really felt like I was there to kind of document. And even yeah. though, like I said, it's it's mainly for myself, I still put the things out there for people if they if they want to. Take Take a look at my website and my YouTube yeah. channel and so forth to kind of see the things that I, I have recorded. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting, and I don't think there's anything wrong with ever asking questions. Sure. Are there any hot spots here in Brown County? And I don't want you to give away anything and, you know, hordes of people show up. Uh-huh. But are, are there any particular hot spots? I know that you've been to uh, the Story Inn. You've been to the Crump Theater in mm-hmm. Columbus. Uh, are there? Do you have a good Brown County story that you can share with us? Well, I mean, it's really hard to talk about haunted Brown County without bringing up the story. In yeah. I've had, uh, I've had a few experiences there and my favorite experience that I actually had at the story in was the night that I was there not looking for any type of unexplainable phenomena. I was actually there with my wife uh, just for uh, a night out, like okay. a date, yeah. and we were staying in the Blue Lady room. And it, <laughs> this so, is I mean, another... you really set it up. <laughs> I, I, I mean... do. I, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, there's always an ulterior motive, right? <laughs> right, right. And so by pure happenstance, we happened to be the only people that were staying in the inn that night. So we had essentially the whole place to ourselves. And so once the restaurant and the bar closed and the kitchen staff leaves, we're basically on premise by ourselves. And so it was probably like three o'clock in the morning and I'm asleep and I get woken to someone whispering my name in my ear and pinching me going, Matthew, 
Matthew. And I, I wake up and I'm like, you know, trying to figure out what the issue is. And she's like, there's somebody walking around in our room. And, you know, I lay there and I listen. And sure enough, you could hear the sounds of what sounded like footsteps of someone walking around a room and rummaging through our stuff. And at one point, the story in, they had like all kinds of knickknacks and yeah. antique perfume bottles everywhere. And you yeah. could hear stuff like rattling around. And I'm like, that is really weird. And there's something really really uh, incapacitating when you're laying flat on your back. I've been in these environments so many times, and I've never really gotten like too terribly shook. But when you're laying there on your back, like, okay, I'm kind of freaked out. So I decided to put on my, 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 my paranormal hat, and I, I sat up, and I decided to try to investigate what was going on. And I walked out into the little lobby area, which can, you know connects all the rooms, and I could hear people talking in the building. I could hear all kinds of you know strange shifting noises. And, I, of course, I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Or, or who was facilitating this, but it was really a strange moment. It felt like the building was alive. And the next morning when we went down for breakfast, the uh, lady at the, 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 the little desk reception area asked how our night was. And I said, well, it was interesting. And she said, well, tell me what happened. And I told her about the experience, and she didn't seem surprised by it at all. And she assured me that people don't show up at three o'clock in the morning to start, you know, prepping for breakfast or, yeah, you know, biscuits yeah. or anything. But she did say that a couple who had stayed in that same room like a few nights prior, they woke up and some of the little perfume knickknack bottles uh, were in the bed with them between their pillows when they woke up, which I found that to be kind of interesting. So, yeah, yeah that's one of my favorite little experiences that I did have at, at Story that, um, like I said, I wasn't there on an official paraholics basis, but it was an experience nonetheless. Boy, there it was. There it was, yeah. Wow. Well, Matthew, we're going to continue our interview that will be available on the Brown County Hour podcast at browncountyhour.com, on Apple Podcasts, as well as Stitcher. You can learn more about Matthew's paranormal investigations at his website, paraholics.com. So, Matthew, thanks for being with us today. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, I'm John, and this is my ghost story, although it's really a ghost story that happened what I saw in space, or in the stars, I should say. I had been out uh, late one night playing music and was on my way home. I was still living at home at the time. But it was a beautiful, clear autumn evening. The stars were really bright, and the moon was full. And it just one of those beautiful evenings when I thought I saw a shooting star. And I stopped to look up into the sky, and what I saw was not a shooting star, but something. It was something I was looking at. It was kind of a red, blobbish kind of thing, opaque-looking, very nondescript. It didn't look like... It didn't look like a Martian vehicle of any kind, but it was there, and I was seeing it. And then I noticed all the dogs in the neighborhood barking their heads off. Lots of tension began to build in my spirit as this Ming moved like that to the other side of the sky, which I could still see it very clearly. And after staring at it a little bit more, boom, it was gone from sight. I shook my head and began my trek home again just hearing the dogs still barking 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 and even though I was late into my teens I was scared (laughs) I wanted to go home and wake up my mom and dad and tell them what I saw but I went ahead and uh, decided not to do that but I got under my blankets and I hid like a four-year-old kid until morning I thank God I saw the morning sun come up (laughs) Now we pause for station identification. 
You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. In this segment, Lisa Hall tells us about the 70th birthday celebration at the Brown County Playhouse. We have an interview with some of the representatives from Brown County High School's Eagle Manufacturing. Carrie Ray talks about getting lost in her latest installment of Carrie on the Road. And we'll close with John Wickham's song, Zombie Girl. This evening, it is our pleasure to have Lisa Hall in. And aside from all of her other activities, she's on the board of directors of the Brown County Playhouse. And Lisa, you are here to give us some updates on what's going on with the Playhouse. Is that correct? I am. And the update that I want to talk about in particular is our 70th birthday celebration, which is, yes, can you believe the Playhouse is 70 years old? Um, And that even predates me. So right. Um, So it's an exciting time to be involved with the Brown County Playhouse. And we are having a birthday party, a true birthday party on November 9th. The theme of our birthday party is superheroes. And the reason we've chosen this theme is that we want everyone to come out, play with us at the birthday party, but also think about investing whatever you can in the playhouse. Be a superhero and help us keep it around for another 70 years. Community theater takes support. There's no getting around it. Well, I, I have to say the, uh, the Playhouse is one of my favorite venues because of its size and because the seats are comfortable and the sound is good. And it's my favorite place to see a movie. And you could even <laughs> have, have a beer while you're there. We have good concessions. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, what's not to like? And I think it is a, a very important community asset. And I know that there's been some struggle financially, and this is the time for our, uh, our community to step up and support this great asset. Well, it really is. And I think some of the fun for me as a first-year board member has been when I get to stand out front and say, hey, have you seen our playhouse? And they'll say, you know, I've lived here, and no, I've never been in. And I'm like, come on in. And everybody is so completely surprised of, one, that we do, we can at full house seat 430 people. But even at that, it's such an intimate setting, as you alluded to. And there's really not a bad seat in the place. It was designed amphitheater style, so the sound is as good in the front as it is in the back. And it was originally designed as IU Summer Theater. And I think a lot of people don't don't realize that. So we we do need some improvements to... um, our HVAC system, we need to better insulate the walls. We need to rework some ductwork just to make it a better experience for our consumers. So you don't want to just survive. You want to thrive. You want to improve the we theater. We do. We do. We want to be here at least another 70 years. And uh, so we're going to have just this awesome concert. It'll be Jen, Christy, and Eric Brown. Uh, it'll be their last concert of the year. Mm-hmm. And they are so exciting and vibrant. And honestly, I sit and pinch myself when I watch them perform. I, I think I can't believe I live in a small county and we have this kind of quality of entertainment. They're amazing. 
So they're going to do four genres of music. Um, we're going to have birthday cake and lots of surprises. We're going to involve Brown County's own superheroes at the very start before the doors open. I have a big surprise planned. Mm. Um, so I can't tell you, but it would be worth coming out and lining up at 6.15. Does it involve spandex and uh, the ability uh, to fly? Or uh, Wonder Woman was busy and Batman is, is out fighting, you know, his <laughs> crusades. But we're going to have our own superheroes. Uh, lead us off into the night celebration. We're going to have karaoke. And I have to tell you this, out of this generous art community that we all abide in, Patricia Bartell donated this beautiful winter vista scene that she painted at Brown County State Park. And I mean, it is gorgeous and it is huge and it's just fantastic. And it's on display right now at the visitor center. So you can go over and take a peek at it in person. Patty has donated it to us to raise money for that particular evening. And you can bid online right now. You don't have to wait till the night of the event. So we have a website. Go to Bidding Owl. B-I-D-D-I-N-G-O-W-L dot com forward slash Brown County Playhouse. And it'll pull up the item. And it simply is beautiful. We're so grateful to Patricia for that. So this is, again is uh, November the 9th. And what day of the week is that? That is a Saturday. Saturday, November the 9th. And what time do the doors open? Doors open at 615 the show actually uh, begins at 7.30. So we have planned lots of fun from 6.15 to 7.30. Come out and do some karaoke, eat some cupcakes, some cake, other surprises that I can't divulge at this moment. But it's going to be a really fun evening. You can get your tickets online or our box office is open Thursday through Sunday at noon. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this exciting information, and we all look forward to the event. Good. I hope to see you all there. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure to introduce a few people representing the Eagle Manufacturing Project at Brown County High School, and I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves. And I have to mention that the radio audience can't see this to appreciate it, but we are looking at three very sharply dressed young men in Eagle Manufacturing shirts that has everyone at the crew completely jealous. Thank you. So, if we could begin. I'm John Wellesbach, Marketing Manager for Eagle Manufacturing. I'm Chris Townsend, uh, the advisor for Eagle Manufacturing, teacher advisor. And I'm Tanner Bowman, the sales manager of Eagle Manufacturing. So what is Eagle Manufacturing? Eagle Manufacturing is a student-run business. It takes place at Brown County High School, as you stated. It is a class where engineering students and students of all walks of life come into the classroom and they run a business a completely 100% real-world business where they deal with everyday customers looking for just unique items, whether it be for graphics or engineering purposes like CNC, and they come to us, they look with you know specific needs, and we help them out in any capacity that we can. It's all student-run, so the students make everything, the students send out all the quotes, the students handle all the money, it's 100% student-run. Of course, with a little bit of help from our watchful eye and mm-hmm. the, the advisors. Only so, so, so this is like home ec on steroids then, real world stuff. It really is. So uh, you mentioned CNC. I mean, so you guys actually will uh, set up a CNC program for uh, someone that's wanting a product made? Yes, sir. That's right. So you, you do the math, you do all of that. Yes, sir. Well, why does Eagle Manufacturing exist? 
you know, I've been at Brown County. This is my fifth year as an engineering and technology instructor at Brown County. And our other advisor for Eagle Manufacturing is Dean Kefauver. And we had our engineering program. We have our technology education program, the construction and things of that nature that Mr. Kefauver teaches. And, you know, in the region, our region specifically, there's just a huge skills gap in the manufacturing sector. And they just cannot find people to fill jobs that they need done. And it's not just manufacturing, it's all over the region and all over the country for that matter. I mean, there's millions of jobs that are just not being able to be filled because there's not enough qualified people to do it. So um, we were looking for something that we could do at the high school to help get students into those areas and maybe help fill some of those skills gaps that we have in the region. And um, a student-led enterprise or student-led business is one of those things that we looked into. And we were really lucky to participate in the Ready Schools, first round of the Ready Schools grant with the Regional Opportunities Initiative in Bloomington. And where there's a couple school districts that participated in that, and that allowed us to explore multiple things within the school corporation, but specifically with Eagle Manufacturing, um, go and visit some uh, another school that was doing an enterprise and has been for a long time to kind of get us kick-started. And with the end goal being obviously preparing kids for their futures, um, whether that's, you know, going straight to work or two-year degree or four-year degree or whatever that may be, but also allowing us to have a program that is self-sustaining and self-funded so we don't have to ask the school corporation, you know, for thousands upon thousands of dollars every year. We can use our profits from Eagle Manufacturing to help support our program. So you make your own money and you get to use it on your program. Correct. Wow. And so rather than being like college prep, this is like industry prep. It's life prep um, because our our big goal is employability skills. I mean, we have a list of 12 expectations that we have and, you know, among them problem solving, communication, you know, accountability, professional etiquette, all those different things that any employer is looking for, whether you're going to work at a, you know, high end corporation or just going out, you know, your first job out of high school or whatever it may be, those are what, that's what you're, the employers are looking for. And that's what we're trying to instill in our students. What products and services uh, does Eagle Manufacturing offer? We mostly sell like shirts, custom shirts for events. Um, like the ones you have on. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> we love making shirts. We're working on an in-house store for our website. So we'll sell custom apparel, tabletops with our laser engraver. We do a lot of banners stickers, you name it, graphic stuff, CNC stuff. We can do just about anything. You make some signs too, right? It seems to me I've heard a couple of people have commissioned you to do that kind of work. So we've done a number of signs and currently we're working on a project with uh, Greenbrier Lake here in the county. We're uh, working with them to make some signs for around their lake and around the beach area. But we do a lot of graphics and marketing for people. So keychains, what else do we do? I mean, we've done awards for the uh, Indiana Fingerstyle guitar. They turned out great, of course. If you haven't seen them, look them up online. We're, I mean, pretty much anything promotional item related. I mean, if you're trying to promote your business, anything, if you're trying to advertise or market your business, you know, from a visual standpoint to its more larger signage and, you know, you know, like giveaway items or things that you could potentially sell, like like we were talking about tumble, engraved tumblers and personalized keychains and things of that nature. So I'm in business and I have a need for something like this. I just get a hold of you guys and we talk about options and prices and work directly with you. Yeah. So you would get in touch with us, whether by means of phone, website, email. So our email is info at bceaglemfg.com. Get a hold of us on that. You'll personally hear from me. I'll get the details of what you're wanting, find out you know what exactly you're looking for, and then I'll send you on to our uh, graphics production manager who will write you up a quote, get a little bit more in-depth as to what you're wanting, 
he'll put it in production and then we'll send it your way and you'll have the completed project that you want and be happy with it, hopefully, of course. Well, excellent. So it looks to me like we can get a hold of you on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And what is, what is your contact on Facebook then? BC Eagle MFG. That's uh, both Facebook and Twitter and also Instagram. Excellent. This is Chuck sitting in on the interview with Dave. And I just want to add that I was actually a client of Eagle Manufacturing for the Guitar Festival Awards. I came to them with, well, what should be considered an emergency order on a short timeline. And they absolutely knocked it out of the park. They were very professional from start to finish. And the awards that they created were, well, first of all, creative and really looked fantastic. And along with getting the awards, I got a tour of their facility. What do you think? Well, as a gearhead, I was a little jealous and very impressed. They plasma cutter, CNC, laser engraving, 3D printing, they had everything. It was very impressive, and they were fantastic to work with. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing this information with us. Um, I hope you have the greatest possible success and that all of you end up as captains of industry. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you, sir. We were on our way to visit my grandmother and had recently crossed the Florida-Georgia line long before it was a pop country band. I can't recall what time of year it was, but I do recall it was plenty warm and humid. Our 1964 Oldsmobile had no AC, so the windows were down and the vents wide open. But sweat still soaked the back of my tank top and my bare legs still stuck to the dark green final seat. A little way south, we found ourselves rerouted by a poorly marked detour. Mom had pulled out the Rand McNally from under the seat and was trying to figure out where the heck we were. And Dad kept insisting he had at least a good idea of our general vicinity. Finally, and before darkness made it all but impossible to find our way, he pulled over reluctantly to seek assistance. Are you lost? said the proprietor of the boiled peanut shack who approached the driver's window as we rolled onto the soft sand. My dad, tan driver's elbow poking out of the chrome trim window, with his legendary Christian humor, says, Nope, I'm saved. I just don't know where I'm at. This is a much older and arguably wiser Carrie Ray with another installment of Forest Song. I wouldn't learn until sometime in my teens that you should never end a sentence with a preposition. And I would spend a good part of my 20s trying to reconcile my uber-fundamental upbringing with the broader worldview I was learning to embrace. But for today, I'd just like to talk about getting lost. Firstly, the scenery on our little sideways jaunt was a part of Florida I had never seen as we were in what seemed to be swampier territory than I was accustomed. In addition to the usual water birds strewn about in the black water alongside the road, I had my first sighting of a gator and later a cottonmouth. Oh, and that fella's homemade boiled peanuts, one of my mom's favorites, were some of the best we'd ever had. And all of these experiences were owed to the inconvenience of losing our way for a bit. Now, I'm not suggesting that you make a habit of getting lost. In some places, and in some cases, that's not the best of ideas. Just ask anyone who's visited a city like New Orleans and decided to take a shortcut or cut across the park late at night on the way back to their hotel. Yes, there are definitely some places that are safer than others for finding yourself unable to find yourself. 
But it's not literal wandering that I'm thinking of in this case anyhow. It's the mental sort. And it's about getting lost for the sole purpose of seeing what you might find. About surrounding yourself with the unfamiliar for the purpose of breaking something loose inside of you. My nomadic lifestyle has me regularly introduced to new scenery, situations, information, places, and people. And I find it infinitely inspiring. But an existence that is a little more stay puttish doesn't mean you can't have the same influx of inspiration. It just means you have to wander with a little more day-to-day impetus. There are plenty of simple, obvious ones, like taking the scenic route home from work, listening to different music than your norm, trying a different ethnic cuisine, or taking time to be in nature. But here are a few less conspicuous options. Hang out with some little kids, without being the adult. Suspend your disbelief for a bit and let yourself indulge with them in their view of the world, where the sky might be orange and unicorns might not yet have become extinct. Go to the library and pick up a book randomly. Choose a different genre than your usual or grab fiction if you normally read nonfiction or vice versa. Choose by the cover art only. Or maybe ask the librarian to recommend his or her favorite. Do an internet search for what happened today in history and then go down the rabbit hole learning about some new event, place, or person in history. Throw a dart, figuratively. Commit a weekend day or the entire weekend. Look at the map of your state and pick a park you've never been to. Don't research ahead, read reviews, or narrow down. Just go and begin to explore when you get there. Whatever method you choose for wandering, bring your full attention and awareness to it. Be completely present in whatever fresh moment you've created for yourself. Notice new thoughts, feelings, and sensations. Just remember, it's all about getting your mind out of its routine, so it's forced to pay attention. Don't make it hard, either. This exercise is not about investing the perspiration, but about courting the inspiration. As a bonus, I'd recommend journaling about the experience afterwards. Just start writing and see what comes up. You might be pleasantly surprised. I'm Carrie Ray, your fellow wanderer, wishing you Godspeed and hoping you'll join me next time on For a Song. Here's a new girl in town, she's causing quite a fuzz. It's easy to see she ain't one of us. Since a chick made me smile She's a bit slimy But I'm digging her style
crazy or maybe I'm a fool But I love my little freak, she's my number one ghoul yeah, She's a zombie girl Yeah, a zombie girl Oh, she's a zombie girl And she's rocking my world She milked my soul with her vacuous stare We pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment, with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. They are the generous sponsors of our monthly Story Slam, taking place the second Thursday of the month in their Corn Crib Lounge. Storytellers join us to tell their true stories on a theme, Our final event for our fall season is November 14th. It will be a Grand Slam where we invite our favorite storytellers back to tell longer stories on whatever topic they choose. We hope you join us and you can find more information on our website, browncountyhour.com. Our final segment begins with David Denman's winning story for our latest story slam called Why the Coyote Cries at Night. Dave Seastrom shares a few thoughts about fall in Brown County, and we'll close the show with Chris Wolf's song, The True Story of Belle Gunnis. Welcome David Denman to the stage, everybody. Thank you. Why do you think coyotes set up to howling like they do? I've always wondered that. I love it. Well, there's a Native American Indian legend that I wanted to share with the nightmare theme because it starts out on the first day of creation and the people and the animals were all together they understood one another they were at peace and on that first day of creation they were overwhelmed by the beauty everything was bright everything was light they were all speaking to one another and sharing in this beauty. Oh, look what the Creator has given to us. This beauty. There are no shadows anywhere. Everything is light. I wondered, what will the Creator have for us tonight in the sky? Well, were they surprised? Because it was totally 
dark. And they cried out to one another, what is this? What is this? It's only darkness. It's, it's dark as death. There must be a mistake. The creator hasn't finished. There must be something more. So they went back and forth through the night. And the great father, he heard their cries. He heard their laments. And he thought, hmm, they're right. I didn't finish the creation. What can I do so that more beauty is given to the world and they will truly come to know me? And he decided what he would do was he would put bright lights all over the sky and he would weave them as a tapestry of bright beads. So he went down to earth and brought with him a great bag. He went out onto the prairie and he picked the flowers that they call prairie stars and filled his bag. And he looked around and found a long stick and broke it off. And then he spied a very tall mountain in this place and he climbed it and put each prairie star on the end of his stick and placed it just so in the sky. Well, he soon grew weary, so he laid down to sleep with his great bag next to him. And who should come along but the coyote, that dog that only has in his heart and his mind one thought to find something good to eat. And coyote says, huh, this is creator. And look, he's got a great bag. I bet you in that bag there is something to eat. I know, I know that he has created everything for us. There's plenty. But I bet he has saved the best for himself. I will steal this bag and sneak away. And I will eat some things. And I'll take it back before he wakes. He'll never know that it was me. So he crept up very carefully, got the great bag in his teeth, and ran away. But when he ran away, he tripped on the rocks in this place. And when he fell, the bag broke loose, and all the stars spewed up into the heavens. Just then, the creator awoke. And he looked up and said, what has happened? And then he spied Coyote. And he scolded him and said, look what you have done. I have come to make beauty, a tapestry of beads for all the people and all the animals to look at for all creation time. And you have spilled them. You have ruined it. He shamed Coyote. And Coyote felt the shame. And tears welled up in his eyes. And he cried. And so all of the great grandchildren coyotes from that first coyote, when the night sky turns dark, they cry.
As I write this, the fall colors are nearly at their peak. The view from our ridgetop shows a forest festooned with orange and red for as far as the eye can see. We've had a bit of rain, and this adds to the fall feeling that goes with the landscape. For a lot of folks, fall is the number one feature of Brown County, and I can see why. It's absolutely beautiful during this time of the year. It's also beautiful here during the rest of the seasons, and judging from the year-round increase in tourism, a growing number of people are recognizing that. I suspect some of the people who visit believe that the majority of us live in Nashville. And of course, this isn't true. Nashville is the only incorporated town in Brown County, and it is the county seat. But the number of residents is only 803. By contrast, the total population of the county is 15,234. That means 14,431 of us don't live in town. The hinterland residents of the county are least likely to be seen during the height of tourist season. The local folks that the tourists meet are the service workers at the restaurants, the shopkeepers, and law enforcement. The rest of us are as scarce as hen's teeth this time of year. Tourism is the lifeblood of our economy, and it provides countless jobs and financial opportunities for those who participate in it. For the rest of us, jobs are much harder to come by, and most folks drive to somewhere else to make a living. Because of this, and the low wages tourism provides, we're having a hard time keeping and attracting young people to our community. We are very successful in attracting older, retired people, and statistically, older people comprise the largest portion of our population. As one of those older people, I can say this isn't a surprise to me. It wasn't like that when I moved here 43 years ago, and I wonder if aging in general has something to do with this population shift. In other words, what if a large group of us moved here in our 20s and liked it so much we stayed? And in the natural of order things, now we're a bunch of older folks. That's probably part of it, but the other part is the gentrification that's caused by tourism. It makes perfect sense that beautiful locations attract new residents, and we are a friendly and inclusive community with an increasing amount of recreational activities. Aside from the nature experiences we offer, there's a groundswell of performance venues and an abundance of good restaurants. One downside of this change is the folks who move in didn't make their money here, and they're disproportionately wealthier than the natives. Just by living here, they're changing the culture to resemble the ones they came from. This is neither good nor bad. It's the inevitable consequence of cultural convergence. In the meantime, right now, the streets of Nashville are paved with leaf lookers. Happy hordes of flatlanders standing on concrete for hours at a time, having a natural experience while waiting for pizza or ice cream. Attracted by the fall foliage, they drive from great distances to experience the natural beauty. Something happens when regular folks become tourists. For some reason, they seem to lose their survival instincts, and they can be seen in large numbers, wandering with their eyes in the air as they step into the increased traffic. Some of these travelers view the natural surroundings from their automobiles while driving through Brown County State Park. 
This park has over 5 million visitors a year. During the fall, the campground is booked months in advance, and they're packed like sardines, tents and RVs alike, seeking nature in the midst of running generators and long lines of people waiting to use the bathrooms. A word to the wise. If you are visiting our county during this time of the year, there is an alternative. You can get out of town. For whatever reason, the tourists almost never get off the main roads. And as all the locals know, there are many beautiful sights to see wherever you go in the county, and most, if not all, of the back roads have very little traffic. For the adventuresome few, the best camping and hiking is in Morgan Monroe Yellowwood Backcountry Area. Unlike the state park, this wilderness area is open to hiking and camping anywhere you want. What you will find is a vast, mostly undisturbed forest that's rapidly approaching old growth status. This forest is full of wildlife and native plants, and it closely resembles the type of forest our ancestors found when they first came here. What you won't find are lots and lots of people, restricted hiking and camping, and bathrooms with running water. Yes, it is beautiful in Brown County, and combined with the culture, this is why many of us live here. We welcome the seasonal visitors, and we're glad they're having a good time. It's also true that once the fall splendor is over, we're glad to reclaim our home turf and return to the quiet life that brought us here in the first place. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time.
Indiana with this well-to-do woman, but sell everything you own. Yeah, bring the cash for everything you own. One night there was a horrible fire. The house burnt to the Thanks for tuning in to episode 92 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. And be sure to look for us on iTunes and Stitcher. The Brown County Hour has been brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.